Hey everybody, it's Jim Sirk. Thanks again for tuning in. I do appreciate it. Thank you so much. So uh, this podcast, I am diving into the digital health arena, and I was lucky enough to sit down with Jennifer Freed, who is the co-founder and CEO of Explorer Surgical, and hold on tight, here it comes from Chicago. Yes, we have another Chicago company um, that is making headway in the healthcare market and trying to heal our healthcare system. So what Explorer Medical is doing, it's they're doing a lot actually. And and this is a podcast you're probably going to want to listen to twice because there's so much information here to grab because there's so much value that they're bringing to our healthcare system. What they're trying to do, and this is my words, it's not the company's words, is create reproducible processes that lead to better overall outcomes that leads to a healthier healthcare system. Through this, yes, they're saving on cases. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit on saving the amount of money being spent um, along the way. But the technology is also capturing data to understand best practices in a surgical procedure. Let's be honest, best practices happen in real life, at a case, when things are going wrong. And uh, even if things are going right, you got your your great surgeons out there who are making it hum and you want to know why. So that's done in real life. It's not in a lab. And Explorer Surgical, they're grabbing that information and they're using it. There's variability in procedures. Why? We all know why. Is it the product? Is it the training we've given our reps? Is it the training we're giving our surgeons and the staff? Is it both? It's it's yes to, to all of that. So what can we do to reduce the variability and educate to get better outcomes? Let's think about this. If you're in R&D and you're listening to this, how great would it be to have a tool that you can capture all the data you need to ensure that your product is easy to use and it's durable and it's working the way you wanted it to work? And if not, which is fine, how do you grab that data? How do you grab that experience so that you can tweak your product before you go to a full launch? That's exciting stuff. Um, so if you really, you know, you boil it down, they're creating efficiencies to a new learning pattern, if you will. You have new learners out there, whether it's a new scrub tech, circulator, cath lab tech, whoever it is. You got somebody new, you want to get a more effective, Explorer Surgical can help. New reps, you want their training to, training is considered as an event today. This is a process that can take the training into the field to keep the reps more effective and efficient, especially if you have complex products that they're afraid to sell. This company can help you and your reps take that product out into the market and build the confidence to sell it. And um, even if you have older products, existing, let's call them legacy products that are used a couple times a year and your reps are nervous about going into the case, Explorer Surgical can help you. So the one thing I've learned from this podcast is <laughs> listen to it twice. Data is king to, to learning about all our healthcare system, the entire healthcare system, and um, understanding how that data just heals our healthcare. So with all my blabbling about this podcast, you can hear my excitement. Take a listen, listen to it twice. And without any further ado, let's get at it.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Medical Sales Nation. It's Jim Surik, and I am with the co-founder and CEO of Explorer Surgical, Jennifer Freed. And um, this this is going to be a different um, type of conversation because we're, we're diving into digital health, which we haven't done before on the podcast. And I'm excited about it because there is a lot of buzz in the marketplace around digital health and, and where it's going. So um, before we get into the technology and the company, um, Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. Good to have Thanks you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's exciting. Oh, and uh, everyone knows, I just want everyone to know, this is a Chicago-based company. Yeah. So really proud of that. And um, always going to try to do my best to get the word out about all the great medical tech that's coming out of uh, out of the Chicago area. So Jennifer, before we start, you got a pretty diverse background. And it's very interesting. Even your um, undergraduate degree mm-hmm. is interesting. Mm-hmm. And then you, you got your MBA. So instead of me going through it, why don't you just walk us through and how you got yeah. to where you are today? Yeah. Um, certainly not the path that I had planned for myself. Sure. Um, lots of twists and turns along the way. So I moved to Chicago to go to Northwestern as an undergrad. Um, got my degrees in applied mathematics and economics. Mm-hmm. Did a lot of healthcare research, which is which is what really drew me to the industry. Right. Um, you know, studying economics, healthcare is really the only industry where consumers can't make rational decisions. That's very true. So there's so many economic distortions in terms of who's paying for the care, who's providing the care, who's making the choices about the care, who's receiving the care. I found it fascinating and also an opportunity where you can also drive a lot of impact and where there's a lot of opportunity for change. So I knew I wanted to be in the healthcare industry. Okay. Uh, leaving college, went to go work at Bain & Company as a consultant All right. to you know, kind of get my chops in the business world, Sure. Um, which was a fantastic experience for me. Okay. Um, but I knew that I really wanted to focus on only working in healthcare and also that I wanted to be working in an earlier stage environment than, you know, with really big companies. Why? How did you come to that conclusion early on? I think it was, you know, as a consultant at Bain, I had the opportunity to work with, you know, about a dozen pretty large companies. Yeah. And we were working with them on business strategy and making big changes. And, you know, while there's a lot of opportunity, there's also a lot of red tape um, sure. to be able to drive change in that kind of Absolutely. environment. And so in healthcare, you know, there are, there are enough barriers uh, yeah. to change, and, and many of them are put in there for good reason, because at the end of the day, you're talking about a patient on the table. That's absolutely so right. So anything that changes that course of care, you have to study, you have to think about it, you have to be really thoughtful. Right. Um, but I also wanted to be in a more fast-paced environment where, you know, if I sat in a conference room and said, hey, let's do this, that we could say, all right, yeah, let's, right. let's go do this. Let's, yeah. you know, I didn't, it, it was frustrating for me sometimes to sit through the big, committees of stakeholders um, yeah. and have to you know go through that rationale and there's good reason for it but it, it wasn't an environment that I felt like I could thrive in yeah no and I, I understand that everyone knows on the podcast my entire career is in startups mm-hmm. and then when we get acquired by big companies I leave <laughs> <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with the big companies I love no, them no, right no. Um, it's just that it, the that freedom is there, gone. There's a different energy. Yeah. Um, and it, it works well for, you know, some people. It's uh, not absolutely. for everybody. There's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of change. But, yeah. you know, if you can come in and drive a difference in something that's really young, you can... You can make your mark and make it make a big impact. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. All right, so let's talk about, um, you know, digital health 
Well, I'm sorry, I don't want to cut you off because then you went, you got your master, your MBA at the University of Chicago. Yeah. So I uh, made the move to work um, as an investor at an early stage healthcare venture capital fund. Okay. Um, and also was getting my MBA at the University of Chicago. So okay. that was my plan was be an investor, be on the finance side, use my math degree, um, mm-hmm. and be able to work with other entrepreneurs sure. who were building healthcare businesses that I thought were going to change the world. And many of them are. Right. Um, along the way... When I went back to business school, I met a surgeon named Alex Langerman, Mm -hmm. um, it was about six and a half years ago, who was running a research lab studying operating room workflow and operating room efficiency, or the lack thereof, as he likes to say. Okay, that's interesting. Was that something he decided to do, or the hospital asked him to look into it? It, This was his vision. Okay. So he started the research lab in 2011 um, within the Department of Surgery there. I met him about two years later. And when Alex started talking to me about the problems that he was facing in his OR, I honestly didn't believe him at first when he described the magnitude of some of the issues that he had, um, which was really around variability of uh, the people in his room and also Mm -hmm. some of the new products and new procedures. And so the way he described it to me, which I still holds very true today is, you know, 50% of the time in, in, in an academic hospital setting, I'm talking about mm-hmm. it's different and obviously surgery centers or other settings. Right. Half the time you've got your dream team. You have your favorite yep. scrub nurse, your favorite exactly circulating right. nurse, your yeah. rep that you work with all the time is there on time. You're doing one of your normal procedures that you do. And it's this perfectly coordinated symphony. Everybody's working together. Everybody's in sync. He reaches out his hand, and yeah. they play they know games. exactly what they're doing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but then there were other times he described um, where he said, you know, all the time I have, you know, a nurse changing shifts or something yeah. that's rotated in from another procedure, or you know, my favorite rep is stuck in another hospital, mm-hmm. and that's where I really start to see chaos. Right. Um, and I'm reaching out my hand. My patient's open. Somebody's rummaging around the back table or leaving the room to go down to SPD, and we're twiddling our thumbs while my patient is literally open. Yeah. So I did not believe him that this happened yeah. in surgery. <laughs> I, I know. And everybody listening to this podcast is going to be laughing, too. Yeah, they're like, like of course well, it does. Yeah, of course I, it does. What does she know? Yeah, I, I actually I wrote an article. It's on LinkedIn. And it was a surgeon threw a Penfield four at me, and uh, it was I call it a learning lesson because I was late to his case, and yeah. everything went crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So. And um, so, yeah, so I this is right before the days of vendor made and HIPAA. Yep. So Alex said to me, all right, come to the hospital tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. I'm going to get some scrubs for you. Come watch some cases. Yeah. And I saw exactly what he had described, which was this bifurcation between very high-functioning right. teams and ORs and procedures and ones that didn't. So Alex had this vision to build a technology where – you know, regardless of who was going to be in the room, can we help everybody get up to right. speed? Can we keep the team in sync? And also, could we build a tool that could better capture the data around what happens at a procedure? So for, you know, whether it's academic researchers like him or whether it's medical device manufacturers thinking about a new product, how do we have a technology tool that can help really capture and understand what's happening interoperatively? And so when you say data, so what's happening interoperatively, what what exactly are you yeah, trying to get? Yeah, yeah. 
So um, part of it is the variability of the procedure itself. So okay. really understanding not just cut to close, but the specific steps of the procedure. Are there certain steps of the procedure that are taking a long time to do? Or you know, if you're putting in an implant, how many uh, attempts does it take to sure. get this positioning right? Um, you know, how yeah. does the patient react? But really, can we create you know this comprehensive data set around the duration of events, the sequence of events, the occurrence of events, right. so that we can start to understand it and really push it forward. Right. So, you know, if you think about even really high volume procedures have huge variability. Sure. Um, well, and doctors have their own way of doing everything too, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, some yeah. of that is <laughs> some of that is never going to change, right. but some of it can. And uh, I think there is a desire for more data to really study it and understand it okay. and say if there are four different ways that physicians are approaching this procedure is one consistently mm-hmm. a better for patients are you getting better outcomes and nobody's doing that nobody's saying no, this right. you know woman does it this way uh, this woman does it that way what are you know what's actually better for the patients but right. then also thinking about things like operating room efficiency or mm-hmm. which instruments and supplies you're using is somebody using you know the $700 item right. that isn't actually reducing the time or getting better outcomes right. because everything in this environment is changing yep. but you can't push it forward unless you actually have the data around what's happening in a way that's easy to digest right. to make those decisions. Okay, so then, so you're collecting data, but tell me about the technology yep. and how you're using it Yeah. And, and who's inputting the data in the OR. Yes. So this is something that's actually changed over time and sure. something that we still startups change they evolve <laughs> yes right? they do <laughs> um i usually say the only thing i'm certain of is that i'm wrong <laughs> yeah right that's exactly <laughs> so. it's kind of the same thing i don't have a lot of answers i have a lot of questions <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the uh original vision was have a big board view in the room that everybody could glance at that would be specific to that step of the case where we could say what step are we on where are we going next high level you know okay. what we're doing and then uh, different individual screens and views for each team member. Yeah. So for each step in the case, you'd have a rep with their view, um, you'd have the tech with their view, you'd have the PA or whoever you know with their own view, and mm-hmm. then you could also have a surgeon or physician view, should you want. Anesthesia? Um, yeah, we did actually have an anesthesia view. It's something we've shifted away okay. um, a little bit from, just to, it's run so separately. It but, is, it's um, totally. There's definitely opportunity there. Yeah. I don't think we've cracked it yet. Okay. Um, so we had this vision of can you guide everybody through this digital playbook so right. everybody could see what is my role in this case for this step of the procedure right. and have the visuals, et cetera, to guide it. Right. So we planned on, and we still have a number of hospitals that do this, uh, the scrub nurse or scrub tech be the person that drives the procedure. Mm-hmm. So they have it on their back table on an iPad in a sterile bag, okay. um, just with a clamp on it. Right. And so when they hit next step, they drive everybody's screen forward. Okay. And they're able to see the setup of the back table. How do I put stuff together? What are the five instruments that really matter at this procedure that I right. better make sure that I have so nobody sure. throws anything yep, at me? Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> Any, for any surgeons listening, I know you're not doing that. So, and if you are, you better stop. <laughs> well, it happened to me. <laughs> um, no, so that that was our um, original vision. We still have many folks that do that. But as we commercialized and went to market, we started developing really interesting relationships with medical device manufacturers. Is that because you were working with them in the operating room? Yeah. So the reps started talking. 
Yeah, so we, when we started out, I think our first year I met with probably about 85 different surgical services directors around the country. Yes, yeah. And one of the big questions that I asked were, which surgical specialties could benefit from a technology like this the most? Where could we drive the most impact and value for you? Mm -hmm. And we heard three themes. Okay. So the first one was ortho and spine. I could see that. Um, High volume, Mm -hmm. high dollars, high complexity, so many trays, especially in spine. Variability of surgeon. Absolutely. Um, the second area that we heard was kind of a broader cardiovascular theme, and this is really what pushed us into the cath lab and EP lab. Um, sometimes managed by the same person, as you know, but sure. other times, you know, an interventional suites director that's managing yep. it separately. Mm-hmm. But what we heard was there's a lot of change. There's a lot of new procedures. We've got these hybrid hybrid rooms, and we've got surgeons and interventionalists and all these different folks doing these new procedures. Sometimes yeah. together, sometimes not. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's political. Um, but, you know, they said, the managing these rooms and the workflow and how do people work together and how do we get high throughput in this is really important to us. Right. And the third area that we heard was robotics. Okay. So um, what we heard, I mean, similar to kind of those first two areas, either you have folks that are specialists in this or you don't. Right. So when we have our team that really knows the robot and how to set it up and they do this all the time, everything works really well. But if we don't have that team in there, that's where even draping can sure. be a big issue and can take a lot of time. Yeah. So we naturally started spending our time in these areas. Okay. And what's interesting is these are all very vendor-heavy procedures. Absolutely. So, 100%. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're, you know... Every and there are a lot of product. I mean, a cath lab is using product from five, six, seven different vendors yep. for one patient. Yeah. I know you yeah. know this. Yeah. You're doing it every day. Yeah. So, you know, we were spending all of our time in these rooms and really learning this. And um, that's when, about two and a half years ago, one of the large manufacturers came to us and said, we've seen what you're doing. You know, we've seen you going hospital to hospital, building out physician-specific workflows. Right. Uh, We really see an opportunity to work with you to codify best practices workflow for our implants. And use it as a company to train all of our physicians and all of the teams that are coming in to train our field representatives and also as a tool for us to start to really capture data to better understand what's happening in those rooms because those hospitals aren't taking reports from Epic and sending it back to us and we need to understand what's happening. We need to understand it because we want to drive efficient procedures Mm -hmm. Um, but also we want the best results for our patients and so if they're we know there's variability in how people are using our products, but we don't get we don't get a lot of input back. Yeah, no, I, it's it makes so much sense now that you're explaining it because from a vendor, I understand the hospital value, and we'll talk a little bit more about mm-hmm. that. Um, but in this selling to a hospital is 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 a very arduous when you're looking because yeah. you're not selling it to a doctor really. You're selling it to a hospital system. Selling it to everyone. To everyone. And any one person can shut it down. Right, exactly. So yeah. where, where I'm at at Osprey, we call it the total hospital cell, right? It's a multi-headed customer. It's an enterprise cell, mm-hmm. right? You're not, what we're trying to do is prevent, um, uh, we're, we're reducing the amount of dye that's being dosed into a patient to just to help with an outcome. Well, that's preventative medicine. And... Most docs will say, well, I don't have a problem. This isn't a problem. But then you get to the hospital level, and it's a problem, right? Mm -hmm. So now 
So selling to the hospitals is arduous. It's time-consuming. But from a vendor side, as you're explaining it, I have the same issues as a vendor mm-hmm. if I'm a spinal implant company. Mm-hmm. Or just the little stay on spine. Mm-hmm. Because I have a thousand doctors using my product a thousand mm-hmm. different ways. Yep. And I have reps teaching and training doctors a thousand different yep. ways. Right? Yep. So now what I'm going to do is team up with Explorer Surgical to streamline my training, my education, my yep. process management so that I can try to start getting the best outcomes across the nation. Yep. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Starting early on with a new product from the time you've got a steering committee of your KOLs, right? You're doing those early cases. You're doing the animal cases. You're doing the cadaver cases. You're doing the simulator cases. Yeah. That's where you want to say, I want to work with my best docs. I want to develop my best practice guidelines. And then I want to make sure that those are implemented, those are trained, and that we're getting enough continued feedback on those where if we say, hey, this isn't working, or this person's doing something differently but guess what they're getting better outcomes right so how do we take that and harness it and have something that we know can be reliably shared and measured in the room itself right so you go back to the data then Mm -hmm. how do you prove a better outcome like what what's what's a better outcome yeah so right now you know we're really focused on what happens in the room itself okay so um it's the you know, company will use different tools other than us and different reporting metrics to look at the long-term patient outcomes. Sure. One of the things that we look at a lot, though, is the time of a procedure. Okay. Because any minute that a patient is under anesthesia, yep, there's bad. a risk to them. Yep. So we look a lot at what is the variability and the duration of your procedures. What's driving that? What particular steps of the case are driving it? Right. Okay. What are the differences that are causing that? Right. Can we reduce that discrepancy? and variability right and also we work with a fair number of companies that I mean depending on what specialty you're in you may not want to have a representative there for every case sure so then it comes to how long does it take to train the uh, clinical team up to proficiency right? right and how can I ensure that they can do this procedure without me consistently and 40 minutes or less or whatever right. your benchmark is right and you can't do that without pretty detailed data to really understand yeah you know the sequence of events and timing okay so let's it's you know let's just say it's a spinal implant yeah and you're working with a company they've gone and have done like you said the the animal lab testing um, they're doing their preclinical trial stuff yeah. and, and it's and now you've gotten your best practices right mm-hmm. and now we're FDA cleared and we're doing our first um, FDA cleared cases yep. we're gathering data you're working hand in hand with them then what does the company do how do they because I'm I'm picturing okay doctor at one hospital does it one way and that's where you got the data from yeah and now I'm going across the street to his competitor and saying this is the best way of using this product. Yeah. Right? So it, it depends on the stage of, of product and what you're doing, right? So what we see from a lot of companies is for products that are post-market that are already out there, yeah. um, there's a desire to understand where that variability comes right. from. So the first step is, hey, let's work hand-in-hand hand with you to find a way to capture that data, compare that data, and really understand what you want to be your best practice. Right. How the company chooses to implement it is their own decision. We can be involved in that. Um, you know, it 
being candid, it's hard to get a surgeon to change his or her ways. Sure. We find this works best for new products when they are getting launched yeah. so that you can do it consistently from the mm-hmm. get-go. But what I'll also say is physicians love data and physicians are highly competitive. Yeah. And so I can give examples of hospitals that we've worked in where, you know, if I show up in scrubs, the doc's going to come grab me and say, Jen, am I still the fastest? (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Uh Um, So it's about taking that data and working, you know, with your customers to say, you know, hey, you're doing this procedure in 75 minutes. Here's where the variability is. We have done some work as a company. This is what we've seen. I think I can help reduce that to 65. It's going to get another patient in the day. Um, Everybody wins here if you can do this correctly. Uh Um, Okay, so so then you're comparing data sources from all these different hospitals. And then you're, you're looking at it and say the mean is 65 minutes and you're doing 75, but then you can compare why. We can drill down into the sub-step level yeah. and start to say, what is it? And, you know, what's hard is the data that we get right now from hospitals, which, A, first of all, isn't even shared back with the companies. But if you do have that duration data, oftentimes there are so many things that can go into that, right? Sure. It's an academic hospital. Are you teaching? That's right. Hey, guess what? Residents fellows yeah. take longer. Yeah. As they should. Yeah. They're learning. Right. Uh, but we can choose to mark that and have that be something that we measure and look at in our data set. Right. But some of the things that we've seen that are really interesting is a lot of the delta comes from setup. So. Mm-hmm. If you can get the case set up correctly and you can get the patient position and set up correctly before you ever make a cut, that really drives what happens in the room. And we have really interesting data on that, some of which is getting published soon, so oh, I great. can't speak to it. That's all right. But um, it, there's this very high correlation um, between do you get everything set up correctly and do you know here are the 10 things that... I gotta have these set up. I gotta have it set up at this time. These are the things that I need to check. These are my contingency things. Because if you can get the setup right, that's where you avoid all those intraoperative yeah. workflow challenges of rummaging around or leaving the room or. Yeah, trying to find the right tool, right? It's yeah. stuck somewhere in sterile processing. Yeah. And I hear, I hear stories probably once a month of you know, waiting for an hour or longer because something had to be re-sterilized right. or, hey, it wasn't on site and we had to send somebody, we're calling other hospitals across town to try yep. to get it. And it it, yeah. it shocks me that these things happen and it, it should never happen because yeah. that's a person of that's course. on the table and yeah. it, it shouldn't happen. Yeah. And so... We can't fix everything, but we know that checklists work. We know that people are visual learners. Mm -hmm. um, And we know that if you can take best practices that have been studied and share it, that you can improve performance and you can improve results. See, that? I mean, that's fascinating. It makes a lot of sense. I've been in this field for 27 years. And if I go back into my career and think about it, if somebody with this tool came 20 years ago, 15 years ago, They'd be like, ah, we rely upon our sales reps. You know, they got the relationships. They'll figure it out. They're awesome at what Mm -hmm. they do. But the world's changing, right? And we're going from this value, or fee-for-service to value-based payment Mm -hmm. models, which means outcomes are going to matter more and more every day. It's it's by 2025, 100% of CMS's payments are going to be value-based. 
And so that means you're only going to get X amount of dollars. You better get it right. Yeah. And you better be more efficient from a hospital perspective, right? And so I'm curious. I know, I know that's probably the value proposition, you know, hospitals are thinking about everything. Mm-hmm. But what is a device company? Why are they interested in it? Because um, I find that fascinating. Yeah. So um, it, it's different for the stage of products that you're working on, but the, the data itself mm-hmm. is what is most valuable to the company. So if you're working with a product that is not yet in the market, you want to get that product to market as quickly as possible with the res- best results as possible. So by setting everything up in Explorer and having it as a digital workflow tool right. that you can share with your experts and your KOLs, you can expedite your path in terms of let's get alignment upon what does this look like. And you can also improve the data that you're getting because it's instant. You don't sure. have to wait for somebody to put it into a homegrown Excel spreadsheet, right. paper form, etc. cetera. Yeah. Um, and then when you start to do the training piece of it, so we have we use Explorer all the time in training labs for okay. companies. So same setup as I described in the hospital, yeah. but it's in a training setting. So you with have, the Salesforce, um, both the both. Salesforce and clinical teams, we're okay. using sales training and physician training, okay. know, nurse training, etc. Okay, um, for you know when the companies host these yeah. events. So we have um, Explorer set up on a big board right in front of the team for them to use it. Um, we have the different views for each team members. We see a lot of companies who, for sales reps, have them rotate through the different roles. Mm-hmm. So understanding what is a physician doing, Absolutely. what is a scrub doing. I mean, that's what the best field representatives and clinical specialists do. They know how to guide the entire that's team. That's exactly right. Yep. So a lot of companies we're seeing do this kind of model where it's shifting toward it. We have what's called an assessment mode in Explorer, so you can have the trainer documenting as the trainee is going through. Yeah. So you're able to say, uh, you know, how lo- a how much hands-on time did they get? Mm-hmm. Right. So did they get enough hands-on time on the right things? Which steps of the procedure do they have right away? Right. Which steps don't they have? Nobody's ever really quantified this yeah. in this type of setting. So then you're able to drill down and say, a at a high level. I had 100 docs come through my training event. There were 12 steps of our procedure. Step five is terrible, right? Everybody's struggling with it. It's taking them six tries. We need to revise our IFU. We need to change the way that we train this. We need to get this right. Or what you might see is, hey, there's a lot of variability in these couple parts. This person needs more training. Um, It's about patient care. So. It's not, I think we're moving away from a world where it's a check the box, the case was done. Right. And it's really understanding who needs who needs more training, who needs more help, who's ready to go. How do we really train everybody up to proficiency in a data-driven way yeah. and then provide the right resources for yeah. the folks that need more? Yeah, no, it, it's, it's so fascinating because... So your, your clinical people are going through this training, um, knowing the steps, knowing exactly what the steps mm-hmm. are. So efficiency is just going to come mm-hmm. through repetition, mm-hmm. right? But then as a, so I'm thinking of it as a device company, I use this not only for my customers, but for my reps, yeah. like you said before, because I'm now walking in a, not only a new product, right? I have a procedure and process that's going to make you the most efficient with this, which then, because doctors yeah. really don't like to change, mm-hmm. right? It, it, you know, I've been told, you know, in the past that uh, a surgeon will change an implant 
maybe once in their career, twice if you're mm-hmm. lucky, right? So you want to walk in with that value proposition yeah. that this is going to be less scary. We've vetted all these processes. We're making it easy for yeah. you. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm thinking of it from that angle, and it's pretty powerful. Yeah. We work with a lot of sales teams that really see this as a sales enablement tool yeah. um, in terms of working with their clinical customers, but also um, as a way to really ensure that your field team, you know, they know the protocols and they know it for all their products. Right. So depending on, you know, the specialty they're working in, um, I know a lot of spine representatives, since we're talking about spine, that have, you know, 15 products in their bag. Yeah. And they may know five really well because they do them all the time, but hey, six through 15, these are things that yeah. I maybe do twice a year. Yeah. And so that's where Explore really comes in. We are never going to replace that flow and that, of that juju of a super high functioning team that does this procedure together all the time. Yeah. But we know that the world is changing. You don't get to have that all the time and we don't want patients to suffer because of it. Yeah. And so therefore for that rep, can they pull Explore out on their phone can they go through the steps quickly? Can they make sure, all right, here's all the things that I need to check and I need to make sure yep. when we're going to do this procedure. And, hey, new new scrub tech that, you know, yeah. just, it's 3.30 and you just came over and you usually do gen search. Let me show you these couple steps and let's make sure that we get this right because these are the parts that people get tripped up on. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, okay, so we're talking about the device side. Um, you started on the hospital side. Mm-hmm. So what did you learn from that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about hospital (laughs) politics. So it's one that, uh, you know, it's it's personally hard for me and frustrating because we we built this tool in a hospital environment to solve our own problems. And we have done clinical studies funded by the National Science Foundation Mm. um, and others that are getting presented very shortly, which is very exciting. We know that when Explorer is implemented with us working hand in hand with the hospital, that we can drive real clinical value. Mm -hmm. We can get cases set up faster. We can reduce intraoperative delays and disruptions, which is generally five to 10% of a procedure. Right. That's something that we have seen across surgical specialties and interventional specialties is it's generally between five and 10% of that total time that is wasted because everybody wasn't coordinated. We can reduce that by more than 50%. That's incredible. And we can pretty much eliminate disposables waste Mm -hmm. by having a visual guide. And that disposables waste, that varies a lot by specialty. Sure. Across, it's an average of two to $300. Mm-hmm. Spine and neuro, you're talking a thousand. Yeah, well, it's interesting because a lot of things just get opened up and thrown on the on the nail stand. And, and then, like you said, at the end of the case, everything just gets thrown away. Well, even in the cardiac cath lab, things are open. Well, I'm sure you're seeing a lot of things falling on the ground, you know, and you, you're recording yeah. that, yeah. you know, because even one thing that falls on the ground... Oh, it could so be two expensive. grand. Totally. Yeah. So, Absolutely. You know, and so because I've seen that happen, and and it's, if you've never been in the cath lab, it's an interesting, interesting environment, you know. Um, but a lot of things are being pulled as they're discovering the patient's anatomy, right? right? You have a plan, but things change. So um, I could just see the value yeah. in that. So, yeah, so we can deliver a lot of value to hospitals. That being said, um, you know, there are are a couple challenges for us. Um, the first is really just the sales cycle. It's generally an 18-month sales cycle for mm-hmm. us. Our cost to hire customers is very high. 
and we are still an early stage company. Yeah. Um, we're venture backed. I have, you know, investors that I need to report Absolutely. to, and I am generally raising capital every 12 to 18 months. Yeah. And so for us to be a sustainable business, I need to have a sustainable sales cycle exactly. where I feel confident in our growth. Um, and the change management is also challenging too. Um, there is a lot that is already being asked of the nurses and yeah. techs and folks in the room. And so it, 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 if there is a very specific situation that we can drive a lot of value in, we will absolutely come in. We have hospitals that we work with today. Yeah. Um, we're always open to doing more of that, but we've seen an opportunity to scale faster yeah. and to generate more impact by really partnering yeah. with companies. Well, it's interesting though. I mean, this is really fascinating to me because you're right. The hospitals are just incredibly um, complex to deal with because there are. It is a multi-headed customer in this enterprise sale, so you got to hit all these different points. And as you said, one person can just shut it down if they don't like it. Mm -hmm. And so you could spend twelve months, and then one person gets to one person, and you're out. Right. Or by the time you get approved, people have left. There's a lot exactly. of turnover, and then you're yeah. starting all over again. Yeah. Somebody new. So that's hard, but it's, I don't want to call it a backdoor, but it's, it's by going to the device companies and the value that you can create for them, you're still creating it for the hospital. It's, it's implemented. That's, if a device company, you know, brings it in to the hospital, um, they can provide a lot of that value yeah. to the hospital. But your brand is there driving it, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So. So as we said, as I said, you know, this value-based payment continues to grow. Your exposure in in the OR through the device companies mm -hmm. will just be heightened. Mm -hmm. So there may be a time that it will explode. Yeah, I'm. I'm not saying yeah. no to working yeah. with us. No, I know. Be clear no, to. I know. I know you're not. But <laughs> I'm just thinking. Well, if yeah. as this grows and hospitals right. are looking for efficiencies, and you're in there, right. you're going to be, you know, the lead brand driving this. So. That's exciting. Yeah, it is. You know, it is. And it's a big opportunity. Yeah, and so um, one other thing, a couple other things that um, I wanted to ask about. Um, well, so you're scaling now, and scaling is always a challenge, mm -hmm. right? So how are you going about it? Um, is it you know from a from a sales perspective? Because I got a lot of salespeople on the, that listen to this. Yeah. Yeah, you know. How do you, how We're are you hiring? You hiring? <laughs> are you? We are. Okay. All right. So with this type of product, what type of person are you looking for? Yeah. So uh, we look for highly consultative sellers okay. um, that are comfortable, you know, navigating the long, windy path of yeah. a B2B software sure. sale. Absolutely. Um, we look for folks that have deep-rooted experience in the OR and or cath lab and EP lab mm -hmm. um, so that really understand kind of the ins and outs of the procedure. And we're looking for folks that want to be in an early stage environment like ours. As we discussed before, it's it's kind of a different mindset yeah. um, working for a big company versus working for a small one. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, those are the big things that we really look for. It's um, having the right experience and kind of knowledge of what happens in the rooms. It's having that consultative selling toolkit. Yeah. Um, and it's a desire to, and, and ideally experience uh, succeeding in an early stage environment. Sure, sure. And um, what are, right now, how many, how many salespeople do you have? Um, so right now we have a team of four. Okay. Um, so two that are more senior and, and two that are more junior. Okay. And so we are 
We are growing that right now. All right, so pay attention. We'll get to how to get in touch with Jennifer. <laughs> so, um, so how are they um, going after the device companies? Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So we uh, typically reach out to uh, companies that are in those three verticals. Yeah. Um, although we do work outside of those verticals as well. Sure. Um, and we are typically going in through marketing sales or medical education yeah um more recently too we've also been going kind of earlier in the product life cycle so we're also working with folks that are kind of in that r&d function and product management yeah that would make sense yeah we typically work with folks who are at you know the director or vp level so that's usually who we're going in to talk to Mm -hmm. um somebody that has oversight over what's happening in the function but often we find that Folks who are, you know, in the C-suite are highly receptive and eager to talk to us, but they aren't the ones that are implementing the projects. Yeah, yeah. But I could see the interest, like I said, I could see the interest from the device side um, and, and as it turns into a competitive advantage for them, mm-hmm. right? Launching a product and having that value component and call it speed to execution in an OR, Yeah, that's worth a lot. Yeah. Yeah. We know that if your first, you know, couple cases don't go well, a team's going to be highly unlikely to want to work with that product. That's and right. So it's how do you make sure that it is a phenomenal experience, that right. people know what they're doing, that they have the steps available to them, and that you're instilling confidence that, hey, not only are the first couple of procedures going to go well, but we're going to work with you to make sure that every procedure goes well. Yeah. That's great. So um, I really appreciate your time. This has been great, learning about what you're doing mm-hmm. and that you're growing. And so if there's folks out there that want to contact you, what's the best way of getting in touch with you? Yeah, you can email me. I'm jennifer at explorersurgical.com. Okay. That's easy. And you can find her on LinkedIn. Yep. LinkedIn. Right. I'm, I'm on Twitter, although I'm not as active. Um, yeah. But usually on it here and there. Okay. And then just go to the website as well and learn as much as you can. Yeah. Um, so for the audience, listen to this. You know, this the, the digital healthcare market space is exploding. It's something that I don't know a lot about and I'm trying to learn. That's why, you know, Jennifer was gracious to have me um, come in and do the podcast. So I appreciate it. Um, something to pay attention to uh, for the Medical Sales Nation. Really start diving into it because it is an area that's going to continue to grow and become more important. So, um, Jennifer, thanks again. I yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's yep. been fun. And um, without further ado, guys, have a great day. Good luck selling.